If you would turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. On Wednesday nights, we're going in the depth from our weekend text. So we'll be looking at dead to sin and alive to Christ tonight. Dead to sin and alive uh, to Christ. Let's read verse 1 down to verse 14, and then we're going to focus on verses 11 through 14. So we'll read together and then we'll pray. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the victory that's been provided in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. Thank you that the penalty of sin has been paid for, but also that the power of sin is broken in our lives. God, would you help us? So many times we, we live in defeat to sin. And would you help us to be able to live victoriously? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time and pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever feel a little bit of uh, Easter letdown? You know, it's a couple days after Easter, and Easter is such a glorious celebration, and it's wonderful to be here together in the sanctuary and the sunrise service and see God work and see God move. But then it's really easy for the resurrection to go into the rearview mirror once Monday hits. It's like back to real life and the challenges of life. And now here we are on Wednesday. But thankfully, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something to be enjoyed, celebrated, and applied every day. Every day. On this Wednesday night, the tomb is empty. On this Wednesday night, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and also apply the resurrection of Christ. The book of Romans really digs deep into the gospel the good news of, of Jesus Christ. The first five chapters have to do with justification, that we're declared righteous 
by God through faith. That there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve salvation. That it comes freely by God's grace into our lives. The penalty for sin has been paid for. That's great news. Here we are sinners. But yet, placing our faith in Christ in the gospel, the penalty of sin is, is paid for. We're able to receive the grace of God. Chapter 5 shifts and it goes to sanctification, from justification to sanctification. And sanctification is to be set apart, to be conformed to Christ's likeness. And it focuses on the power of sin has been broken in our lives. This newness of life that God has given to us. And this is where we struggle. This is where it gets difficult is because even though as believers we know up here in our minds that we've been freed from the power of sin, we still very much struggle with sin. Amen? And there's probably some patterns of sin in our lives that we give into over and over and over again. And we're wondering, man, could I ever have victory in this area? And what Romans chapter 6 teaches us is there's no temptation or sin that's greater than our resurrected Savior. There's no darkness where his light can't dwell and give victory. So even in these areas where we've given into lust, we've given into anger, we've given in to covetousness, there is the possibility for victory because Christ, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he has defeated the power of sin in our lives. So tonight I hope and pray that our study is very practical. How do we walk in this newness of life? How do we walk in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection? And that's where we'll focus on verse 11 through verse 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Likewise, you also. In the way that Christ lived for the Father, we want to live for the Father as well. Think about, well, how would Jesus react to this situation? How would Jesus behave? What would his attitudes be? What would his mannerisms be? You likewise. In, in the way that Jesus glorified the Father, we want to glorify the Father. And this is where the reckoning takes place. And the biblical understanding of reckoning is different than how we use the term today, like, I reckon I'll go out to the barn, right? So what does this word reckon mean? It actually means to calculate. And if you're taking notes, as we look to walk in the newness of life, walk in the resurrection, is first we have to stop and realize the truth. Stop and realize the truth. The word reckon means to compute, where you actually are stopping and doing the math. It's an, it's an accounting term. Did you get through your taxes okay? Uh, right? Did you get a refund? Did you, did you owe money? How, how did that all go? The only way to get through that process is you had to do some reckoning. You had to do some, some accounting. You, you had to, to sort it out and turn your taxes in and either get your refund or, or send in uh, some money to, to pay uh, your taxes. And when we're tempted with sin, which we know we're going to be tempted with sin, because 
The old man has been crucified with Christ and destroyed, rendered inactive, but still has a voice. Is still going to scream out temptation at us until we go home to be with the Lord. So we have to stop in that moment of temptation and realize the truth. Okay, it seems like my sinful nature has the dominance here, but actually the Spirit of God has the dominance. And I need to remember that my old man, my sinful nature, is crucified with Christ, buried, and I'm risen in newness of life. This is not who I am any longer. This anger is not who I am any longer. This, this lust is not who I am any longer. The covetousness, the, the bitterness. And when we do that, God moves in, in a powerful way. If we'll stop, okay, I'm being tempted. I'm going to stop and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to realize, I'm going to reckon that I am dead to sin and I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. My old man is crucified. I'm buried. I'm, I'm risen in newness of life. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's reckoning. And it's very, very practical. All right, I'm about ready to sin with my words. Nope, I'm going to stop and realize. To be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the, the righteousness of God. Reckon the old man to be dead and alive unto God. I want to attempt to illustrate this truth from the Old Testament. If you would turn with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4. Joshua Judges Ruth. Judges chapter 4. What we see in the book of Judges is they would go through these patterns of idolatry, rebellion to God. God would turn them over to their enemies. Things would get so bad and difficult. They'd cry out to God. God in his grace would raise up a deliverer, a judge. They would be delivered from their enemies, walk with the Lord for a time, a period, go back to idolatry. God would turn them back over to their enemies. They'd cry out to the Lord. So we're in the midst of one of those cycles. And that's where we pick up in... Judges 4 verse 1, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ehud was the prior judge, and as soon as he died, they stopped walking with the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Hazreth Hagoim. So the Lord gave them over to the king of Canaan, to their enemies, The Canaanites' general, commander of the army, is Sisera. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord for Jabin, had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So they're crying out to God to be freed from bondage. Many ways how we cry out to God to be freed from the bondage of of sin. He's got 900 chariots of iron iron. This is like modern day tanks and Israel's got none. So they're grossly outnumbered to Sisera. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. That's an interesting name, huh? Lapidoth. It's a good name if you get a new puppy. This is my puppy Lapidoth. 
was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Adonomi from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. God's given us the victory. I think we should go out and, and walk in this, this victory. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. All right, this is how it's going to go. You're going to take 10,000 guys, and you're going to be the bait. This is going to provoke Sisera with his 900 chariots to come and attack you, but God's going to give the victory. No details of how God is going to do it. Classic response, a real manly response here in verse 8. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Sounds pretty chicken, right? Turns to, to Deborah and says, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. But at least he's honest. He's honest there. Verse 9, so she said, I will surely go with you. She's not afraid. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. You're not going to get any of the glory. It's going to be through the hand of a woman that this victory is won. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near Terebinth tree, at Zamnim, which is beside Kedesh. Now, the Kenites were descendants of the Canaanites. So he breaks off from the Canaanites and sets up his camp amongst the children of God. He has a conversion in his life. Heber. Now, <clears throat> they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Ahinomi, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people were with him from Herosheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. So it works. Sisera hears that Barak's on the move and he's coming after him with his 900 chariots of iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. Here's God bringing the victory. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariots and fled away on foot. So Sisera knows he's defeated and is running for his life. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoim. And all of the army of Sisera fell to the edge of the sword, not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. So God brings Sisera 
to Jael's tent. And in essence, it's the old man coming to visit. And this picture, this Old Testament picture, it represents our sin. Our old man's defeated, but will show up at our tent wanting to make peace with us. Our sinful flesh saying, can we live in this peaceful arrangement with sin? Notice what the request is from Sisera. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, and turn aside to me, and do not fear. And when he turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. He wants some water. (laughs) I'm really thirsty. Here he's been running in the hot Middle Eastern climate. And what does she give to him? Some lukewarm milk. This is before refrigeration. If you're really thirsty, like say you go out for a run or you go out for a jog and you're like, oh, I just, I want to get some water. And somebody gives you lukewarm milk. Disgusting. When I was 16 in junior in high school, I went on a mission trip to Mongolia and they drink fermented mare's milk there, horse's milk. And it is not refrigerated. It's just this lukewarm, nasty milk. This is what I picture is being served to, to Sisera. But this is a plan from Jael. She's lulling Sisera to sleep. And our sinful flesh, our old man, is going to try to make a treaty with us saying, hey, just hide me in the tent. Nobody has to know that, that I'm here. And give me some, some water. And instead, give our sinful nature the milk of the word. Give, give God's word to that temptation. Bring the word of God into view, into that temptation. So here he is, has just drinking the milk. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You say, no. Then Jael, Hebrew's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down to the ground for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Jael nailed it. She nailed it. (laughs) She has to be good at this. This is something that she's used to doing of taking the tent spake and the hammer and nomadic setting up the tent and taking it down. And she realizes this is her opportunity to have victory over the old man, Sisera, the the general. And she goes right up to him while he's sleeping. He's just had this warm milk, puts it right on his temple. One shot, boom, (laughs) puts it all the way, spikes him to the ground, and he was out. Didn't even know what hit him, right? When we think about our sinful nature, we have to take the cross and apply it. The hammer represents the word of God. The nail represents the nails that went into Jesus' hands and feet. Victory over sin is in that moment of temptation, the old man's being presented, I'm going to stop and reckon the old man dead. 
I'm going to stop and realize the truth, and I'm going to apply the cross to this. I don't feel like I've got power over this sin, but through Jesus Christ and him crucified, I do. The risen Savior with me, the the power of, of the resurrection. So let's get real for a moment together. We know that pornography is a huge issue inside of the church, inside of the the people of God, for men and women. And it's just wrecking the church. It's it's wreaking havoc upon the church of God. So what do you do in those moments where you're tempted to look at pornography? You nail it. You follow this example of, of jail, where you take the hammer of the cross and you say, wait a second, this old man, this sinful nature that's crying out to look at pornography. No, that's, that's not the case. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. This, this is not what God, God has for me. Anger just wrecks our lives, doesn't it? Does so much damage as we sin against each other in, in our anger. So in that moment, in the heat of the battle with, with anger, say, say, wait a second. I'm going to stop and realize the truth. Sisera is dead. The old man is dead. I'm going to give him some milk of the word and I'm going to nail it. I'm going to apply, apply the cross. I'm crucified with Christ and I'm risen in newness of life. There may be someone that you're bitter towards and you just find yourself hashing it over. It's like the hamster on the wheel, but it's in your mind and you're just reliving the wrongs that they've done. Nail it. Nope, Jesus, you've died for their sin, and I choose to forgive them because you have forgiven me. Maybe it's our hearts and minds tend to go to a place of despondency and discouragement. Say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to allow my soul to go to this place. The Psalms speak this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's speaking to my soul. It's time to to praise the Lord. I'm not going to allow myself to go to this place of despondency. That old man, it's crucified. I'm going to nail it to to the cross. The death, the resurrection of Christ, God has provided it so that we can walk in victory. So that we no longer have to be under the bondage of sin. We're no longer slaves of sin. And the rubber meets the road is to say, I'm going to reckon the old man dead. I'm going to stop and, and realize the truth. There's a couple more things in Romans chapter 6 that are really applicable. Let's go back to, to Romans 6. And look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Hear the language, hear the words. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. The victory has been provided, but we have to walk in it. We got to lay hold of this victory that God has given to us by faith, this newness of life, buried with Christ, risen in newness of life. The first point of action is to stop and realize the truth. And then the second is this, is you got to play solid defense. you got to play solid defense. Don't allow sin to reign in your mortal flesh. Arguably, teams that win championships play good defense. Football is often won by 
the defense as much as you got to have a good quarterback. Basketball is about defense. If you can play defense, you, you, you win games. And here, this verse is saying, don't, don't allow sin to reign in your mortal flesh. So what are some patterns of sin in our lives? What are, what are some sins that tend to always cause us to, to compromise? We want to be proactive in, in those areas. And to say, Lord, I am going to put up a wall of defense, a, a hedge of protection when it comes to these areas of sin where I tend to walk in defeat. The book of Nehemiah really fits in well with this because the temple had been rebuilt, but there was no walls of defense around the temple. Nehemiah's heart was broken, so he prayed, saying, God, would you open doors so we could build the wall, rebuild the wall around the temple of Jerusalem. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and many times the wall of defense is not built up around our lives or has collapsed around our lives. Many years ago, I read a book called Hedges by Jerry Jenkins. And it's called, the subtitle of, of the book is, is Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. Hedges, loving your marriage enough to protect it. And the, the whole idea is, is they used to build hedges or grow hedges around homes. That was the fence Uh, to be the protection around the house. And so how much more so to put up protections around your marriage, those hedges around your marriage. Really good book and very, very practical. And in the same way in our Christian life, we want to have hedges. We want to play solid defense. Don't allow sin to reign in your mortal flesh. Man, if you struggle with pornography, what in the world are you doing online at 11.30 at night. Like, you know, hey, nothing good is going to happen with me being online at 11.30 at night. Even if you don't study, struggle with pornography, there's not a lot good happening on the internet at 11.30 at night, right? So you might put a hedge in your life that says, you know what, I'm not going to be online after nine o'clock. And someone might say, well, that's so legalistic. I would say that that's wise, when it comes to pornography, to live inside of account- accountability, to make sure that someone has access to your phone and your computer, to invest in software like Covenant Eyes, where what you do online is made known to, to your accountability. Those are hedges that's saying, man, I see the destruction that pornography has done in my life, and, and I don't want to go down that road in, anymore. Okay, I tend to sin in my anger. So what are some hedges that I can put in my life that's going to help me to to not be angry? You might start to examine some things. Oh, I tend to get angry a lot when I'm driving and sin in my anger while I'm driving and I'm I'm in a hurry. I need to start leaving a little bit earlier so I'm not so stressed and I can let the person go in front of me. We've got a little elevator here in the foyer of the church that's just got a, a few buttons, right? You can push to go up to the second level and come back down to the, the first level. And we all tend to have our buttons, don't we? That when they, those buttons get pushed, apart from reckoning the old man dead, I'm dead to sin and I, I'm alive to Christ, we're going to lose our, our temper. So build a solid defense. All right, these, 
these are the things that, that get me. And Lord, would you start to, to change my heart in this, in this regard? But please hear me on this. I think that the challenge of verse 12 is we need to get in the battle when it comes to sin. To take every thought captive to uh, the obedience uh, of Christ. And it's easy to be in this defeatist mindset where we don't expect there to be victory. There's been a pattern of sin, a pattern of sin, a pattern of sin. And we just assume that we're going to continue in this lifestyle of sin as a a believer. And here our resurrected Savior through Romans 6 is saying, hey, wait a second. Part of the gift of the resurrection is there's power over sin. You don't have to walk in this any longer. Let me illustrate this to you through fishing. You're saying fishing? Yeah, fishing. So for the last, I would say, maybe 10 years on and off, I'd take our kids fishing. It like, seems like part of the dad thing to do, right? Wanted all of our kids to have the joy of catching a trout at some time in their growing up years. I'm, I'm sure they would be fine if they didn't catch a trout, but wanted them to, to have that experience. And, and really, our fishing trips were unsuccessful and quite, quite miserable, especially for young kids, because you get the poles and you're going out into the mountains and then do all this work and you, you cast it in. And, and in ca- instead of catching fish, all you catch is snags, right? And you're pulling up sticks and your line's breaking and so frustrating. It's like, what, what is this to this fishing thing? And then probably two years ago, uh, Roy, who's our resident fisherman here, he took us out fishing and we caught fish. And we caught a lot of fish. And I've got videos of, on my phone of Eileen White just, just having a blast catching all of, all of these fish. And I remember driving with Roy and his rig on the way back and I was like, Roy, you have to teach me your tricks. Like, I need victory in fishing, right? <laughs> So I I got out my phone, and I'm like, all right, so what do you use? What do you use for bait? What do you use for line? All this stuff, and I'm typing it into my phone. And then a few weeks later, Roy comes in with some fishing stuff. And get my pole rigged up just like Roy's, right? Tells me the time I've got to go, the place I've got to go. We go a few more times with Roy, start going on our own. And by God's grace, we catch fish. And it is so much fun. And, and we eat them and barbecue them. And Amber loves them and treats us like heroes when we come home with fish. You know, a lot of wives would be like, oh, that smells so bad. And she's like, oh, you brought home meat. You guys are awesome. You know, we're like, yeah, we are awesome. Woo, you know, and we're like, we love this. But a lot of times the, the Christian life feels like the first half of our fishing experience. It's like, I'm saved. I'm I'm the child of God. Everybody says this is abundant life. But it doesn't feel like abundant life. It feels like defeated life. I I just, I keep walking in these same patterns of sin and I'm not experiencing any transformation. And that's what I hope tonight through God's word, the truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to be able to fish. Jesus said that it was good for him to depart because 
the Holy Spirit was coming that was our helper and our teacher. So the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And the Spirit of God wants to teach us how to walk in this victory, to walk in this newness of life. And the Holy Spirit's right there with us in those moments of temptation saying, stop. Stop and realize. Don't keep going in this direction of of sin. Stop and realize that the old man is dead. You're dead to sin and alive to, to Christ. Play a solid defense. And then that brings us to point number three. In verse 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So number three is present yourself to God. So first, stop and realize the truth. Then play solid defense. But then number three, present yourself to God. To yield yourself to be an instrument of righteousness. This word present means to yield. We're going to talk about this more on the second half of Romans chapter 6 this weekend. But what we surrender ourselves to, what we yield ourselves to, we ultimately become slaves too. This is really played out in King David's life. King David allows Joab to go out and fight the war. That's a warning sign when we get complacent from the things that God has called us to. He sees Bathsheba. She's taking a bath. And instead of, in that moment, stopping and realizing the truth playing solid defense, presenting himself to God, he presented himself to unrighteousness. He takes another look and then inquires about Bathsheba, goes to his servant and says, well, what about this woman that's taken a bath? Who, who is she? And the servant already knows David's intent. And the servant says, oh, that's B- Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Like, she's married, dude. There was another opportunity for David to stop and realize the truth, to play solid defense, to present himself to God. But instead, he presented himself to unrighteousness, and he went from looking to inquiring to then inviting. And he invites Bathsheba to come to his palace and commits adultery with her. As the story continues, he continued to present himself to unrighteousness and had Uriah killed. That's the reality, isn't it? And remember, David's a man who loved God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was walking with the Lord. But that that temptation was, was real in that moment, and he yielded himself over to unrighteousness. So so what does this mean to present ourselves to God? In Romans 12, verse 1, turn over there with me and we'll get to this in a few weeks as well. But Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 lay this out for us of what it looks like to present ourselves to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, that you 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness is being a living sacrifice, is responding to God's goodness and saying, God, I want to follow you. And I think this is really tied to the message of the resurrection. Our risen Savior died and rose again, conquered the grave, saying, I love you, I've forgiven you, I want you to follow me. (laughs) I want you to follow me. And by the way, I've got a mission for you. I've got a job for you, for you to go love lost people, to introduce them to to myself. Our resurrected Savior, he's not passive. He's saying, look, I, I died for your sins so that you'd be forgiven. And I died for your sins and rose again so that your life could be transformed, that your life could, could be changed, that you don't have to stay in this pattern of, of sin. Follow me, worship me, present yourself as a living sacrifice. So this is giving our eyes to God. This is giving our ears to God. This is giving our, our hands and our feet, our heart, our whole entire being to just go through your physical body and say, Lord, I'm a slave unto you. I'm choosing to lay down my life because you laid down your, your life for me. For us to sin, it does involve our bodies many times. We can sin in our hearts as well, but it gets to the point where it's in our actions. We do something with our hands. We say something with our words. We look at something with our eyes that we ought not to. And so in those moments of temptation, it's no, I'm presenting myself to God. I'm presenting myself to God. So then these verses end back in Romans 6, verse 14, that sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have the victory over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So this teaches us several things. And the first is, is that the law can't save us and the law can't change us and transform us. But the grace of God can save us and transform us. And Paul addresses in this section this idea of, okay, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But does then that just give us a license to sin? Are we going to go out on purpose and just continue to sin going, well, God's going to forgive me. Well, God's going to forgive me. Paul says, God forbid, perish this thought. So, so grace saves us, but it also teaches us how to live godly. The grace that saves us is the same grace that we rely on in order for us to overcome sin and have victory over sin. I was reading today by, um, about a man named Hiru Onoda. Hiru Onoda. I'm sure I'm butchering his name, but he fought for the Japanese army in World War II. And when Japan surrendered in August of 1945, Hiru did not. He was on an island in the Philippines, and he continued 
to be in a posture of war for 29 more years. 29 more years until his commanding officer came and released him of his duty. Here, the war was over, but he was not living in the reality of that. And for us, the victory has been won through Christ's death and resurrection, but are we living in that victory? Are we appropriating that victory? Are we, are we trusting God for that victory in our lives? We want to be in a place where we're living in the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. What do I mean by that? Okay, I'm a sinner that God loves. Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. So I'm forgiven from sin and I also have freedom from sin. As we come and take communion in just a moment is let's do business with the Lord. And let's examine some areas where sin has had dominion in our lives. This Easter weekend and and this week, this is what God's really been challenging me with through Romans chapter 6 is, Eric, why are you accepting defeat in these areas of sin in your life? Why are you not believing for and pressing into the victory that that I have provided. May communion take on a, a deeper meaning for us as we understand, man, the penalty for my sin was paid for. I'm completely forgiven. God washed me afresh from my sin. But also, that power of sin is broken in your life. If you're living in a lifestyle or a pattern of pornography of sexual sin, do you believe that the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ has broken the power of that sin and you can walk in newness of life? You can stop and realize the truth, can play solid defense, can present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Do you believe in an area of covetousness or bitterness or or anger That God has already done the work. He's already provided the victory. We think of a dark night and light coming into the the dark night. And we have the darkness of our souls. This areas of sin that we we struggle with. And the light of the gospel, the light of the good news of, of Jesus Christ comes into that sin and exposes us, but also provides forgiveness and the power to be able to live differently. So so as you take communion, allow Christ to, to come into that place, come into that darkness, confess that sin to him, and then lay hold of the victory that God has provided. Now understand, as we do so, the old man's gonna scream. Sisera's gonna ask for some water, right? And our sinful nature is going to be like, give in to this. You've always given in to this. Nice little sermon from Pastor Eric, but it's not going to work. And we're going to be tempted to, to go back to these patterns of sin, but to apply Romans chapter 6 and go, nope, I'm reckoning the old man dead. 
I'm realizing the truth. I'm going to stop and realize the truth. Uh, I am dead to sin and I'm, I'm alive to God. All right, I'm going to play some solid defense. What are some areas that I'm, I'm tempted in? What are some hedges that the Holy Spirit can build up in, in my life? I want to be in this continual habit. A good way of starting the day is just surrendering ourselves over to the Lord as a living sacrifice, putting ourselves on God's altar. God, here's my mind and my eyes and my ears and my hands. And Lord, I, I want to live for you. It's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We take the step of faith to apply God's truth. And then God comes in and does what only he can do. The Holy Spirit's wanting holiness in our lives even more than what we long for. And allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and, and take that step of faith. Say, okay, I'm going to apply the word. I'm going to reckon the old man dead. I'm not going to let sin reign in my mortal body. I'm going to present myself to God. I'm, I'm going to take some action that's in line with God's word. And trust that the Holy Spirit's going to come and do a transforming work in my, in my life. We read in Romans 12 to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As we wash our minds in, in the water of the word, God is changing and he is, is transforming our character. But don't believe the lie of Satan in our flesh that you'll always be in defeat to that particular sin. You know, don't believe that all oh, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And, and this is just what, what men struggle with. And this is the way that our world is. And this is the reality of, of having cell phones in our pockets. Hogwash, right? We serve the risen Savior. And he died for our sins and rose again. So I pray by God's grace and the power of the gospel that your fishing would be plentiful, Right? Instead of the Christian life being this, man, I try and I fail and I try and I fail and I try and I fail, is meeting with the Lord, relying upon the Holy Spirit, applying his truth and faith, and then beginning to see God do a work that he can only do through victory. And sometimes victory comes overnight, but most of the time, God's building up our discipline where it's going to be relying upon him, following him. And we fail, keep short accounts with God, be quick to confess and get back up and, and press back in. And over time, we look back and we go, you know what, I still struggle with anger, but God's changing me. And I'm not near as angry as, as I used to be. The Lord's doing that work. Dead to sin and alive to God. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Jesus, would you be gracious to meet us in communion tonight? This truth that we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. We thank you for your forgiveness and we also thank you for freedom from sin. Lord, would you help us? Help us to reckon the old man dead. To not let sin reign in our mortal flesh. To present ourselves to you. And we ask for breakthrough in these areas that tend to dominate us, that as we walk in your truth, that you would really cause there to be life change. We thank you that we don't have to do this alone.
that Holy Spirit, you're here to, to help us. We want to follow the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. 